I'm struggling a little bit today, Suze. I have just returned from Southern California heat and I'm back in the Vancouver fall. So it's been a slow day. But at the same time, the I'm just back from the SoCal heat. It's a little bit of a brag in there, I feel. Yeah, you know, it was great. It was a lot of fun to have a little bit more summer. But I was there for a dear friend's wedding and to stay with some good friends as well. And it was lovely to just, I'd never been south of LA and it was lovely to experience the SoCal lifestyle. I was near San Diego with my partner, John, and we got to stay with our friends and their new baby. And yeah, we got to celebrate a wedding. We got to enjoy, I don't know if you've ever tried Phil's coffee, but it's like a California institution. I think you'd really like it because it's you get to choose your coffee bean. They make them on the spot and, but they have all these fun add-ins. Like you can get some with like mint and cream and there's like a rose infused one. And we stuck to just black coffee cause that's us, but there were some fun ones. I actually did try an iced ginger snap one and you get to choose your level of sweetness and your level of cream and then all the different add-ins and they make it on the spot from scratch. Like they grind the beans, they do it all. It's really cool. So definitely give that a try when you're in San Francisco is where it started or anywhere, anywhere around California, they have them. Well, conveniently, I will be in San Francisco next week. That's why I dropped San Fran, but it did start there. And that's where I first had Phil's. Then I'll have to give it a shot. Yeah, I am. I am unfamiliar. So that's, on. I mean, anyone who wants to give me any sort of food recommendation for places to eat, I love like a there's nothing that beats a proper decent, like really good food hole in the wall place, especially when I think you're somewhere by yourself and you don't mm-hmm. want to necessarily do a fancy restaurant sitting there by yourself. I mean, I could, but I don't do that kind of thing usually. So hole in the walls, just wherever that's just amazing food. I am there for it. I'm going to do some, um, I need to do, I guess I need to do some chowder, right? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know what traditional. I think clam chowder is a big thing. That makes sense. When I was in Seattle too, that was, that was a popular thing there. Chowder. Yeah. I mean, we're on the West coast. Enjoy the seafood. Well, this is the thing I am anyway now. So it's, um, but you know, you, when in Rome, right. Whenever you go places, you got to try. I love to explore, um, Chinatown wherever Mm -hmm. I go. Cause there's, I mean, there's always delicious food. So and San That's Francisco's be... Chinatown is great. It's a lot of fun. And I I don't think we tried. We were only there for a couple of days when we went a few years ago. But the food there is is great. We didn't really try any specific spots in Chinatown. We were camping as well. So we did a little hybrid of cooking in our camper and, and eating out. But you'll have to get some recos from, from people. Maybe our listeners will have some ideas. I... We definitely tried Mexican food this weekend in San Diego because it's so close Mm, to the Mexico border and it was amazing. I had the best breakfast burrito of my life yesterday. It was scrambled eggs, chorizo, some really nice sauce in there too. Um, So good. So, so good. And these authentic, like you're saying, hole in the wall, Mexican joints, they were Mm. so, it was so good. The wedding, um, they had tacos for the main dish. Love that. Tres leches for the dessert. And so it was just like this delicious um, Mexican feast, which was so, so, so appreciated. And margaritas, which couldn't get oh, enough of. Love a mug. I know you love a mark. You were, I, I always do like a classic margarita. 
Um, I'll rarely do like if like a flavored margarita. I'm also a big fan of just a traditional margarita just on the rocks. I'm not a fan and I don't understand the slushy thing. Yeah, margarita on the rocks is the way to go for sure. And these ones at the wedding were strong. And we all got on the dance floor. It was a super fun DJ. It was a lot. It of was fun. strong. So you had one and were drunk. Mm, pretty much, pretty much, which was fine by me. But yeah, they were limey and delicious and perfect for the climate. Mm, that sounds perfect. I am ever so slightly envious of that. Um, because yeah, you said that obviously you got to enjoy the SoCal sunshine and the warm. Um, and then obviously we are, I would say, well and truly in autumn right now. Uh, but it's actually feeling really nice. I mean, I know we'll have a rainy day today, but like yesterday was so lovely. All the leaves were dry and falling off the trees and um, Newt is now very excited by all of the leaves blown around sometimes. And it just makes walks that, you know, they've got that extra level of excitement for him, which is crazy cute. Um, especially now that we've got him as a little TY Beanie Baby tag. Yes, yes, I heard about this. I don't think I could get away with that for Ziggy because he's too big, but I think Newt's the perfect little beanie baby lookalike. Well, this is it. He kind of, I'm literally looking at him right now and he's inside his donut bed, fully upside down with his belly up to the ceiling and his paws all curled up and he looks super cute, cute totally dead cute. to the world. Um, But it was just, yeah, it's such a cute little tag. There's such a good um pet store down on Main Street Um, that does like, all these types of things and it's like it's fancy you know it's like mm-hmm. you would only go every well I would only go every now and then it's um the good boy collective um and it's really cute and the stuff they do is really really nice but you have to like have loads of money to take full advantage of it I'll have to go check it out I remember my sixth birthday I got I think every gift I got from my friends was a beanie baby mm-hmm Remember when they were just, yeah, real big. It was around the time the Spice Girls were big. That was a good time. Yeah, I am. Um, I had a friend who like full-blown collected all of the Beanie Babies. Yeah, I, I actually, we would drive to France um, for holidays sometimes from England. And I remember losing one of my Beanie Babies in France and we couldn't find it. And then that Christmas, it reappeared. And I was convinced that it was the same Beanie Baby that Santa has found for me. Pretty <laughs> sure so my cute. parents bought the same one and replaced it, but it was Spotty the dog. It was like a little Dalmatian. Mm. And I was bummed. He was my favorite Beanie Baby. Um, and yeah, but he came back and I actually don't know where my Beanie Babies are, but they may be in storage at my parents' house. So I'll have to dig them up. Hey, you should check them. Some of them might, might be worth something these days. I never kept the tags though. I ripped them right off. Oh, okay. See yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. yeah if any collector is listening they've just cringed and like no had a the hearts just skipped a beat when you said i just ripped the tags right <laughs> off the tag off i was fully in like this is my stuffed animal mode not this is going to be a collector item one day fair i was that kid too i don't think i had anything particularly like special but uh i was definitely a stuffed toy stuffed animal person to the point where you know the amount you had to remove from the bed to get in every night was kind of insane um but I still did it like you just do it it's cute right it's it's one of those oh oh, if you try and get into bed with them all on you wake up the next morning and you've kicked them all off in your sleep anyway so it was just a whole thing putting them all back on in the right order big to small or whatever you did yes (laughs) by age or size or whatever it was you know dogs cats yeah but um this dog store pet store it is for dogs um is 
uh, big into like sustainable dog toys and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, which is kind of fun because you just get something a little bit different. But uh, I guess there's a there's a theme there with a little bit of our conversation last time with JM and then with um, our guest Joe this time. I was thinking about sustainability a lot this weekend, going back to Phil's coffee, but we I wasn't, bring... I don't think of sustainability <laughs> at all. We always bring our travel mugs whenever we can too. And we always try to get them filled up. And there were some places, I think maybe because of COVID sort of maybe messed this up a little bit mm-hmm. where it maybe still wasn't the norm to bring your travel mug. We always got a discount though, which was great. I'm really glad that that's still alive and kicking, but Mm -hmm. yeah, in the U S it didn't feel like, again, I don't want to make a generalization, but it just didn't feel like, um, things were back in full force, um, with, with using reusable mugs and we saw so many paper cups and yeah, it was a bit shocking actually, because I'm used to seeing around Vancouver, a little bit more reusable mugs or people eat, um, drinking in, particularly at the place that Joe works at, which we're going to talk a lot about today um, on this episode, where they only have reusable mugs. Do you think you do anything else sustainable? Oh, gosh, I actually went through a period of life where I tried to be fully zero waste. I How studied- did that work out? Gosh, um, it actually was pretty good. I used to go to bulk stores. I would bring my own containers. Um, I was vegan. I was I was really trying to lower my footprint. I would only ride a bike everywhere. Um, you know, a car when I absolutely needed, but took transit. But yeah, it was it was tough. But because some bulk places wouldn't allow back in the day, would not allow you to bring your own containers. They would have you put it in the plastic bags and then go and put it in your container after when you got Which home after you seems purchased. to defeat the point. Yeah, exactly. And then I remember places like Bulk Barn actually started allowing that, and they would just take the weight of yeah. the container off of the final amount which was awesome. But yeah, I worked in a few places. So when I was doing it, I lived in Montreal and I lived in Toronto and I found my bulk stores, but it was a lot of effort and it took a lot of planning. Mm. And I realized that in life, you probably can't do everything all the time, all at once. You do need to, you know, do things, you know, minimally or to your capacity, I guess is the best way to say it. Where you know, if you can make a little difference, it's probably going to help rather than trying to, what did Jean Marie say in our last episode, boil the oceans, you know, mm-hmm. like trying to make a drip in the ocean and of an impact rather than boil the whole ocean is a little bit easier on your life and your stress level. So now I've scaled things back a bit and I've done a manageable amount. We still try to take our reusable mugs places. We still try to buy from local businesses and take containers and reusable um, bags when we can, but yeah. And we, we're really good on with our energy. We have these, um, thermometers that we can control from our phones. So we make sure one room is turned off when we're not using it. And then the other room, and then we have specific room, our bedroom that turns up just before we go to bed and then turns down as we're sleeping and all those things. So, um, we're trying to be good in those ways too. So yeah, a little bit here and there. Um, but we still have two very old Toyotas that guzzle gas. So, you know, you win and you lose some. I was going to say, actually, um, with you saying all of those things, that made me feel a little bit better because like everything you've just said, I do that too. Um, and the same with like the um, the thermostats in all of the rooms and controlling it. Sometimes if I'm out and I'm on my way home, I'll 
do something with the the heat or whatever. Um, it also is quite good because if you forget to turn the heat down and you've gone out, you can mm-hmm. quickly fix it. Um, but then with the the grocery bags and like the cup, the mug, I love my travel mug because it's also pretty. And this is the thing too. I feel like if you do stuff like that, if you get stuff you actually want to use, um, it makes it easier to use them because you're like, oh, that's nice. I want to use that. I have a I have a question for you because there's something that drives me crazy thinking about this kind of world of sustainability and everything and for me if you're being like obviously as sustainable as you can there's a lot around you know reusing what you already have um so for example if you have a container it doesn't really matter what's gone in it as long as obviously you've washed it and stuff like people will reuse jars that had whatever in or even like um like margarine containers and all that kind of stuff like it doesn't really matter but there's this whole thing now and you've you will have seen it on social media for sure it's driving me insane where people will buy whatever they want to buy and then they'll bring it home and then they'll take it out of the original packaging and put it in all of these like beautiful crisp clear like Tupperware boxes or whatever they're called and they're in like the perfectly in their drawers or in the covered space in the kitchen um you're smiling right now is this because you've seen this please don't tell me you do this if you I, I don't think you do this I feel like if you did do this we wouldn't be friends uh- <laughs> But like, there's this whole rigmarole around like having everything slot in perfectly, and then but it's things weird things like you buy milk. I'm just gonna say you buy milk. You buy a carton of milk, mm-hmm. and you put it in the fridge. Cool, fine, it is what it is. But these people are they'll, they've they've bought this like really nice like glass or plastic milk carton, and then they've transferred the milk that they've bought into this carton to just put it in the fridge, and I don't understand that. Okay, a few things on this. Um, no, I don't do that, first of all. I had to rant about it because it's, it's yeah. driving me crazy. And I let you, and that was great. So <laughs> I don't do this because I would buy the container and then go to the place where they could fill it with that item. Mm-hmm. You can't usually find somewhere to fill your jar with milk. But if you can buy a glass bottle, then it will kind of look nicer than the carton if that's what you're going for. I would only do this in the case of like serving brunch or something. But even then I'd probably put the carton right on the table because it's probably friends coming over for brunch and they probably yeah, I was going to say, mind. who are you serving brunch to? The queen? Like, yeah, I mean, and I don't really serve king, brunch to people. Whoever he is. The funny thing is my youngest brother did this. <laughs> and a few years ago we were at his place and he's very organized. Are actually. we calling him out right now? Yeah. I mean, who knows if he's listening to this, but he'll probably laugh. Um, he bought, I think it was Oreos or something and put them, took them out of the whole packaging and then put them in a container. And I think Ugh. they ended up going stale, <laughs> but like a lot faster than they might've. But yes, I thought that was quite funny when he, when I saw it and I was like, Oh, okay. Interesting. I guess it looks nice. And you know, it's, it's like putting cookies in a cookie jar, but in my mind, I would buy things in bulk and put them in jars. But if something already has a box, like a box of crackers, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then I'm going to just put it right in the cupboard because I've already consumed that packaging. Yep. So I might as well just keep it in there. Mm -hmm. My goal when I go to the grocery store is to avoid the middle of the grocery store where all the package stuff is and try to stick to the outskirts. And that's a good way for you to avoid buying things that are in packaging a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. So that's usually my goal. And I think Michael Pollan taught me that from one of his books on food. It was stick to the um, outer rim of the grocery store where you usually get baked goods, um, obviously your produce, your meat, your fish, Mm -hmm. Uh, usually meat and fish is packaged, but some, some places you can actually take a container to the counter if you're buying it 
off of the counter. Yeah. Um, and they might put it in there for you and not use paper um, and just put the sticker right on the box. But um, yeah, that's, that's really funny that you find that frustrating. I haven't oh. seen that as much on social media, but I have seen it in real life. So I know what you mean. Okay, that's funny because I haven't seen it in real life, but I have seen it on social media and it, it it is one of those things that I'm just... Also, like, who has the time? Like, I come back from grocery shopping. I don't actually like grocery shopping. I do it. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, But you come back, you put everything away and you just get on with your day. The idea of then taking out the packets and, and emptying them all into all these other things. Because then I've also given myself a whole lot of new things to wash as well I'm also a big one for if I go grocery shopping if I'm in the like fresh produce section um I don't put anything in bags I just put it straight in the car and then go from there um it's always quite funny when I always see people putting like things that already come wrapped by nature like garlic for example um putting garlic a single piece of ginger in an entire bag in a huge in one of those big plastic bags yeah it's so funny isn't it like, I understand if it's things like, I don't know, loose mushrooms. Well, they usually come with a paper bag. But like um, like green beans, for example. Obviously, I'm not just going to put a handful of loose green beans in the car. But yeah, most of the stuff you buy in, that doesn't need to go in a separate bag. But I will see that quite a lot. Um, I've seen people put bananas in the plastic bags. I'm looking forward to sharing um our conversation with Joe. Just because, like you say, Joe works currently with a local coffee shop um nomad just here on the north, the north shore uh i know it's a regular haunt of yours and i um mine and yours emily very good coffee surrounded by plants lovely place to be mm-hmm. and obviously like you said before um their thing is you have to bring your own it's a bring your own whatever um and they will put it in anything like i've seen people use all sorts so it's quite fun but that's just a tiny, tiny piece, I think, that I know Joe's learning a lot about and wanting to kind of grow and develop in that sense. And I actually thought it was really interesting because I know when we first started doing the podcast and even before that, when it was just an idea, uh, we were talking about how it's like when you're listening into conversations in a coffee shop and and what you overhear and um, the thought of the people you get to talk to if you actually just instead of just saying hi to someone every day and actually get into a conversation with them and the fact that if we had never done that with Joel we would never have had him on this episode and we would never have learned as much as we have he could have just been someone who every time we went and got a coffee we just say hi and that's it um so I think it's really cool to know that you can actually find out so much more about people just in your day-to-day life you know the standing behind the counter somewhere but they've got a really cool story to share and I learned so much about Joe and he's done so much and been to so many places. So I found that really interesting. Um, and I'm excited to for him to share more about kind of his journey and the sustainability side of things, his love of plants, which I know we both share too. Yeah. So should we have a listen? Okay, good evening, Joe. This kind of dark, I don't know, kind of feels very autumnal right now. Um, so today we have Joe, who is a local of Vancouver, which is kind of cool because we see each other on a fairly regular basis now, thanks to a minor coffee addiction, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but Joe, before we kind of dive into anything, we want to know a little bit about you. We want our listeners to know a little bit about you. So 
I kind of came up with a little quick question of if we were all speed dating, what would be your spiel? Oh God, that's a tough one. I think uh, the way to sum up my life is it's been a pretty wild set of adventures put into a very short space of time. I've been lucky enough to travel the world and visit about 45 different countries, live in six or seven, um, and I've done every job that you can imagine. Yeah, I because of that, I feel like I've I feel very lucky to have had the life I've had, and I can. Yeah, I, I don't really know how I would sum up in speed dating. I've always been bad at dating. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, my partner that I have, she lives next door to me. So uh, my dog barking in her face was the way we we connected. Um, so yeah, I, I've never been great at that. But yeah, I've I've lived a pretty interesting life and um, I've, I've had some fun along the way. Um, but yeah, I find myself here in Vancouver and super happy to be here because um, North Vancouver is the most gorgeous place on earth, I think. I mean, I'm biased. Yes, I would also agree. Um, but also, obviously, people will be detecting that you do not have a Canadian accent. Um, yeah. But you're also touching on a multitude of countries you've lived in. Which countries have you lived in? Where did it start? Yeah, so I, I joined the Navy when I was um, 18. Um, and from there, I just traveled um, with the Navy to the Middle East. I spent a lot of time in Bahrain. Um, Dubai, everywhere in the Middle East, um, and then all over Europe as well, in like the Mediterranean. And I spent four years doing that and just kind of traveling between those places, six months stints in the Middle East, um, four months out in like the Mediterranean, and realized that it wasn't really for me after about four years, and decided that it was time for my adventure that I wanted to do. Um, so I moved to Japan, and I spent um, about eight months living in Japan. Um, I did that the day I left the Navy. Uh, so I literally handed in my ID card, went to the airport and was gone. Um, after that, just traveled like Southeast Asia, did the usual, and then ended up in Australia um, and living in a hostel with like eight other people in one room, which was not a far cry from my time in the Navy and working as like a gardener. After that, it's just been a series of different parts of the world, like Canada, obviously, I've, I've been here, I attempted to live here twice, um, failed both times, once was due to COVID, the other one was because I was a little bit too young to understand how to move to another country. I lived in New Zealand for a while, that was just spectacular, so much like British Columbia, just again, working as a gardener and living by Lake Wakatipu um, near Queenstown and spending my days just enjoying the sunshine there yeah I've I've been super fortunate for that like I've always been pretty poor because of it I think I was in this cycle of of work hard for six months and then travel for as long as physically possible um, unfortunately I have quite expensive taste and I don't really like hostels anymore so I spent far too much of my budget on nice hotels good food I'm not one for like cheap travel, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, and then I ended up here three years ago nearly um, and haven't looked back since. Haven't really wanted to leave. Haven't found the right reason to go back to the UK yet. And I'm not sure I'm going to find one to, to go back and visit for a while. But yeah, super happy to be here. That's crazy. That's so much like you literally have been all over the world and also literally lived all over the world, which is awesome. But something about North Vancouver is making you stay. Yeah, not only is it my my two rescue dogs and my partner, but 
I think just being able to get out in the mountains every day, like whether it's rain, whether it's shine, you can finish work at like 5.30 and then just head off for like a little adventure and hit a summit somewhere. And I really haven't even scratched the surface of the the kind of adventures you can have here. Uh, recently, I, I did something that's been on my like list um, for about a year and a half now, which was the House Sound Crest Trail. Um, I, I'm not a runner. I'm not like a long distance hiker at all. But I love taking on challenges that I think I can do and I think my body's up to. And yeah, just to have that 32 kilometer like trail on your doorstep and no excuses why not to do it. Um, that's such a cool part of living here. Like it just opens your world to like to so many things like possibilities and, and things you can kind of spend your time doing instead of, I guess, the usual of being in a city. In most cities you find yourself just the day-to-day lifestyle of like you go out, spend money on coffee. You go and just like fill your day with with things that you aren't really too passionate about. Um, whereas here you can just, I think if you're a dog owner as well, it really doesn't get better than just like having that excuse to just go out and explore. I have House on Crest Trail on my list. So I'm going to have to ask you about how it was. It's been on the list for probably since I moved to Vancouver with my partner four years ago. So, um, we just have found excuses not to do it. We've done long distance hikes in many other places, but not that one. Did you do it in a day or did you do it as an overnight? I, I did it in a day. And wow. for some reason I, I picked, a. I was going through the reviews on all trails of like the trail itself. And one guy was like completed it in nine hours. I was like, okay, that's my target. I was like, I don't know this guy. I have no reason to make that my goal, but <laughs> nine hours is my target. And for the last like six kilometers of it, I was pretty much sprinting because I decided wow. to take a little stop to like swim in Lake Brunswick. And I was like, just determined to beat this nine hours. And I got to the car park at eight hours and 58 minutes. Um, hilarious. You wow. had no reason to want it. You just <laughs> decided no just decided you were in competition with this guy. That's yeah. so funny because I look at those people and I'm like, mm. I mean, I, I used to be very competitive with running and things, but now I look at it and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to, maybe we could do it over one night, you know, in two days or even two nights and three days and just walk like a little bit each day and chill out at camp and enjoy the views. So it's funny that you did it in under nine hours. Well, well done. Eight hours and 15 minutes. That is impressive. I was, I was a bit of a shambles afterwards. My partner came and picked me up. My phone <laughs> ran out of battery the moment I stepped off the trail. Thankfully, she, like by the process of elimination, found me on the side of the highway. Um, but yeah, I don't think I could walk properly for two days. Like she was looking after Kuma and taking him for a hike. Um, and yeah, it's, it's such a cool thing to do. Though. Like The views were amazing. And it was, I got super lucky that it was the day before we got all the smoke roll in. So I had these panoramic views. The only reason you really do the house sound press trail for mm-hmm. these gorgeous views of the house sound and into like past the lions. And then, yeah, the next day, like you couldn't see 20 feet in front of you almost. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one that you should, you should try and do next year. It's, it's incredible. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know there's a period of time where there's not snow on a certain part of the trail. And so we've got it. You've got to catch that moment where no smoke, no snow, good to yeah. go. So maybe I'll do it and I'll, try to max out the amount of time. Maybe I'll try to go for the longest time, do it over three days or something. And I'll do the opposite of you. Um, but I agree with you about Vancouver. I have lived, I've been and lived in probably, I thought I'd been and lived in a lot of places, but 
it's about a fraction of what you've done in your life. I thought I traveled a lot of places, but not nearly as many as you have. That being said, um, I knew I never wanted to live. I was born in England and I grew up in Ontario, but I knew I never wanted to stay in Ontario and I couldn't find like my dream place that I wanted to live. But when I came to Vancouver after having lived in Australia and Amsterdam and New Zealand, I've been to New Zealand, traveled there and a few other places. I, um, I came to Vancouver and I was like, Oh my God, this is the dream, the mountains, the ocean. I completely agree with you. Everything just is so lovely here. It's so easy to ground yourself and find all of those activities and outdoors and even culture and lifestyle too. And, um, yeah. I think the places in the world where the mountains come down to the ocean, Mm -hmm. that they seem to be the most incredible places. Um, there's just an energy. I think they, they hold it. It's like when I was in Hawaii, I just went there for like a, my brother's wedding uh, a couple of years ago and Hawaii, I couldn't place what it was. It wasn't the sunshine. It wasn't the waves. It was just like that natural element of the mountains coming down to the ocean and knowing that, I don't know, it was also connected. Um, I, I find that that every time I drive over one of the bridges here and I'm coming back to North Vancouver, I'm like, oh, home. And I look and see the mountains there and it's like, yeah, it fills you with awe, I would say. I'm just laughing because um I am definitely privileged in that now I do live in North Vancouver. So you two obviously need to, I know obviously you both actually now work, you also both work in North Vancouver, which is quite funny now. Um, you're both kind of at either side of Mosquito Creek and me in the middle, which is really kind of funny. Um, So clearly is all you just need to move over this side as well and then you don't even have to cross the bridges you're just right here Uh, I feel like we've become a bit of an advert for (laughs) moving to Vancouver (laughs) on the pod call us up tourism BC and we can yeah we can help you out so Joe what are you doing now like what does life look like for you now I mean I know you touched on obviously we're settling we're feeling settled in Vancouver you've got your dogs you've got your partner right next door what what is your world looking like right now So yeah, I work as a a barista a lot of my day, um, but also just assisting a a recent like startup, like a year old startup um, in the the coffee industry and assisting them grow their business. Um, And yeah, like working with them on sustainability and how to actually create this model of a coffee shop that can, um, can not cause so much harm, I guess, um, in our daily routine. Um, so that's like my my work environment is that very um, very business minded in terms of like seeing how we can grow, seeing what we need to do to get there, um, and working on the creative side of things. And then outside of that, I honestly just um, like we said, just absorbing like the most beautiful part of the world and just spending time with with um, my dog. But yeah, the work side of things is. Um, is really interesting it's really cool to be here especially like I'm from a very small town in the UK um called Seaton it's it's got about 2,000 people um and I was I would say it was it four years ago I, I owned my own coffee shop there and plant store and then leaving that behind and and selling that business and moving to Canada I really was so excited for the opportunity to work in an environmentally conscious business and in like a forward thinking operation because those things can be lacking in like small town England. Um, so yeah, I I really love 
that chance to work with cool companies. And I spend a lot of my day chatting with different um, businesses and like people in the coffee industry and seeing like how some really cool sustainable companies are operating and just kind of filling my head with it, ready for the next entrepreneurial opportunity one day. So coffee is something that so many of us consume. I actually wasn't a coffee drinker until I met my partner six years ago. And he had this ritual of every morning making his coffee and we would enjoy it together. But before that, I was more of a tea drinker, except when I was in Australia, I would enjoy a flat white here and there because the Aussies do coffee well. And I know the Kiwis do coffee well too. Um, But what sort of led you into your journey around coffee? And also a second part of my question is, what are, I guess the, pieces of or the parts of the coffee industry that are not sustainable that a lot of people would not know about and and the things that you're sort of working around and working on changing yeah so um i first got into coffee uh honestly it wasn't too long ago i was the same as you i was a tea drinker i was very about my like herbal teas you'd open my cupboard in my apartment and there'd be like 20 different herbal teas and you then... have just described Emily there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got a chai right here, chai rooibos tea on the go. So perfect. But yeah. Unfortunately, like I, I fell in love with coffee when I was in um, Australia. There's such an amazing coffee scene there. And um, I think also being perpetually tired from living in a hostel with dozens of people coming and going every day. Um, I just started getting into coffee and like drinking it on a daily basis and then I got offered an opportunity um, to go in partnership uh, to open a coffee shop. Um, it was about 500 meters from my apartment, this, this building. It was incredibly cheap rent. I think it was 300 pounds a month to rent a full coffee shop with a garden, kitchen, everything. And it was just too good of a business opportunity to turn down. So I just started learning about coffee then and taught myself how to be a barista within a week whilst we were renovating the place we had the coffee machine there I was like okay I'm gonna be a good barista in a week (laughs) I'm still not sure I'm there but (laughs) there's a thing with that competitive thing I'm seeing a trend I've got this like this unfortunate thing whereas I think I can do pretty much anything if I put my mind to it Um, I mean, some people say that's the way to think, right? It's like the mind over matter, you know? I think I've bitten off way more than I can chew in multiple occasions because (laughs) of it though. It's like, it's great to get you started, but when you're like too deep into this thing you thought you could do, um, it can be a challenge. Uh, But yeah, I I did that business for, um, I think it was three years and it was through like um, all of the lockdowns and everything in the UK. So it was like lots of um, unexpected challenges, right? Like mm. owning a small coffee shop and being like an owner operator is pretty straightforward. Um, there's not too much going on there. But then you throw in like these new challenges of like, no one can come in your store. What do you do? Mm-hmm. And it really just like inspired me to, to take that like learning experience and like try and move into other business opportunities um whilst I was running that business so I I happened to be like setting up two more um at the same time so again biting off a little bit more than I can chew um but yeah then coming to Canada I I wasn't really interested in being coffee it's not a very well-paying gig um it's one of those ones where the scope for growth isn't isn't great 
but then, yeah, I just um, ended up meeting the owner of uh, Nomad Coffee in a plant store that I was running. And we just like got on so well and I went in for a coffee and I think the next day I was there for an interview to, to manage the place. Um, but what was highlighted to me, which I didn't really realize was the, the issue around sustainability. Um, coffee is such a, a high paced um, habit, I guess. Everyone's on the go. Most people aren't sitting down to have a coffee and relax. It's usually like, have a coffee on your way somewhere, grab a to-go cup. And I didn't really realize that that was to the tune of 1.2 billion single-use cups per year, which is such an avoidable number. And all of those cups, like I can go into it if you want, but all of those cups are basically lined with a plastic that means that they can't be broken down. They're not worth being recycled um, by any of the recycling industry um because it's like mixed material it costs them too much to to process it and people aren't buying recycled plastic i think it's something like six percent of all recycled material or recyclable material actually gets recycled in canada so 94 percent of it just goes to landfill or to be incinerated but what this opportunity of like setting up this this store with no single-use cups and like a, a bring your own cup policy like it was, it seems like such a simple thing and like that it wouldn't cause many like issues with people. And I've had countless grown men have tantrums with me over their morning coffee. And just like, it really highlighted how unconscious we are with our like daily routines and our habits. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of this like platform with Nomad, I've been so lucky to meet with the team at Nemesis Coffee who are another amazing coffee shop in Vancouver. They have a location in North Vancouver as well. And they are really at the like forefront of sustainability in buying coffee. So there's so many um, growers um, and farmers around the world who are in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt to the exporters of their coffee. And they get out of that cycle. They are just being perpetually ripped off um, and taken advantage of. And what I found when I went for like a a coffee tasting session with the guys at Nemesis was they talked about how much the average price of coffee coffee bought was per like kilogram. And there's no transparency around it. It's it's a very recent thing that people are actually holding themselves accountable for how much they're paying for their coffee from the farmers. And so, yeah, it just like completely opened my world to like coffee as a whole and what this like really this agricultural industry rather than like a a beverage industry it's like it's mainly the agricultural side that is is pretty unsustainable in a lot of ways when you think like some coffee has to travel like from say kenya to go and be have a process on it to take it to make it decaf and then it's shipped to a roaster somewhere else and there's potentially shipped to another country by someone who's bought this coffee online like that whole process is is pretty wild to me. Um, and the carbon footprint of it seems to be pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's there are people who are making a difference with that. And there are people who are literally taking on that fight and like they're paying out of their pocket more money to make sure these farmers are being treated equally, to make sure that they're able to um, fund organic style growing rather than just using whatever pesticide they can to keep the coffee growing and sell it for the lowest price 
um they're actually like funding these these farmers to be able to like i don't know take ownership of their business mm-hmm. um, which is really cool yeah that's no that's really awesome and it's touching on things that i think some of us kind of know certainly not a lot about but like you know we're kind of aware of a little piece of this um so I think what I mean you and I the reason I met you is because you literally are at what is now my favorite coffee shop um so that's Nomad where I would quite happily live every single day um but there's something really special I think when you go into that place for example and I'm curious because you touched on how obviously some people still have an issue with like bringing your own cup or or that kind of thing. What is it that like, how are you managing to get customers in or rather how are you managing to get them to care? Like, why should the care, why should I care to come to a more sustainable coffee shop than, you know, some of the big name ones that we know of? I I think quite honestly, a lot of people don't care when they walk in the door, when they first walk in the door, they don't care what the thing is. They just want coffee. Fair. And then what there's like, there's a few reasons I think that it's like, it's working. One is if you give people the opportunity to make a more sustainable choice, they will usually take it. So like, I think most people will pay a little bit more for a more sustainable brand, whether it's their clothes, whatever it is they're buying. People people do care inherently about the planet, I think, but people also have a thousand things to think of in their day. So many people are just walking around super stressed and they just like the things they don't want to think about are their morning coffee. They just want to go and grab it and like get on with whatever's stressing them out. Um, so I think like a part of what I've tried to do is just like kind of acknowledge that, Hey, I'm sorry, this is kind of inconvenient, but we have got options for you. Um, we recently partnered with a company called reusables.com. Uh, they're a UBC started company. Um, the founders, um, Jason and Anastasia are two, um, two young professionals who decided to change the way that, um, that people consume their food and their drink. And what it means is there's this free to use cup sharing platform that I can now, as the person who's like, telling these people who are just so frustrated they can't just walk out with a paper plastic cup (laughs) whatever it is I can go hey you can have this cup for free but you just have to return it in 14 days there are some people who just like they're like I don't have the headspace for it Mm -hmm. I don't want to have that pressure on me to return something um but honestly now I would say 90% of people are just so happy to be able to make that sustainable choice um and what I love is I saw recently this um, a lady came in with her child and didn't know we would know single use cups in there. And the, her child had this little water bottle that was empty that had a dinosaur's head as the top of it. And she gave it to me. She was like, can you put a coffee in this? I was like, absolutely. It's my favorite cup I think I've ever seen was this like huge dinosaur head. And I was like, it just shows that we can just be a little bit more resourceful. We we all have the opportunity to to make these small positive like shifts mm-hmm. um and however insignificant it may seem to just not throw away a, a paper cup um it does make a huge difference um but yeah it's it's been a real interesting learning experience for me 
to be able to manage people's like emotions almost where mm-hmm. I like have to gently break them into I'm like hey just so you know we can't give you a takeout cup um and it's been like a yeah a great learning experience in that respect to just kind of be able to absorb a tantrum every now and again (laughs) (laughs) I mean in the world of customer service you kind of have to do that right uh I think from me thinking about it in what you said about like we're making choices and and not everyone has not everyone cares not everyone you know cares yet and maybe the the will at some point um but I think the places that like you're describing and the movement that businesses are going in it's almost like they're helping you make that choice like they're kind of making the choice for you so in me coming to say nomad or nemesis or whatever uh, in me going to these places I don't really have to make the choice anymore because you've already made it for me um so I can therefore be more sustainable in my using of that said coffee shop without actually thinking about it at all which is kind of nice yeah it just really like if you if a company can provide a little bit of infrastructure or a little bit of like a an easy way of you adopting a, a new way or a new system um i think it it does like enough of the legwork to just like kind of change your your daily habit yeah and like and it becomes the new habit right it becomes the new way that you interact with the world is just like this this one little shift and like what i hope for is that actually just that one change that you can make by someone's coffee actually translates into like oh maybe i'll like cycle to work today or maybe i'll like i don't know choose to to um make another sustainable choice when i go to the grocery store oh, i'll take a tote bag with me because mm-hmm. now i'm in the habit of carrying it with my reusable cup um it's all kind of linked and i think the smaller habits that we have the the more we change those it ends up being a very big picture um, of things that we can change in our own life. Yeah, that's so true. There's such a trickle effect with those kinds of things. I I like that you said before, or it was interesting that you said before about this like fast-paced coffee culture, because I had a lot of um, opportunities to travel to Europe for work in the last couple of years. And I'm originally born in England. I've lived in Amsterdam. I feel like the culture in Europe, and this might be a generalization, but I feel like there is more of this culture of sitting down and enjoying a coffee somewhere rather than just running off and grabbing your to-go cup. Um, I don't know if that's something you've maybe noticed too. And even actually when I was in Australia, I've got some family there. I think, I feel like there was more often people sitting down, having a coffee in an actual cup than, you know, taking it to go, which was, was really interesting. And I think what Nomad has done a great job of, which I absolutely love is I feel like when I walk in there, I'm transported into this tropical paradise. Like I'm in a coffee shop in Bali or something and I want to sit down and I want to listen to the good music and I want to enjoy my coffee in a physical cup. So I don't know if that's, you know, something, you know, you've noticed more people appreciating that. Um, but do you feel like the environment itself at Nomad creates that less stress, more wanting to enjoy and be mindful about the way that you consume your caffeine? I think so. Yeah. I, I do think that between Europe and the, and uh, Canada or like North America, I don't know whether it's something to do with like the cost of living and the mm-hmm. difference with that, like whether people are in more of a rush here because they literally cannot afford to not be working and not be like going somewhere to get something done. Um, whereas I know certain European cities, the cost of living is wild. 
um, is absolutely off the charts, but I don't know whether that that kind of affects the the pace in which we live at. Um, I know for myself, I live a much faster pace of life here in uh, Vancouver than I ever did anywhere else in the world. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, that just like go and make money, like do the thing to, to grow your life. Um, I do think with Nomad, like we're very conscious of like setting the the scene. And just making it so like you can come in there and you're not like irritated by certain noises that that are going on. You're like we're very conscious of that and just trying to make a place for people to to unwind. For me, the plants do that. Like mm -hmm. I when I first went there, plants were a, a part of it and quite a small part. There was like a few big plants in there. But for me, my background being plant stores where I was ordering a thousand plants every couple of weeks to sell and I'm surrounded by them every day that environment is such a beautiful space and it really just like what I noticed for years as a gardener or like working in the houseplant stores was people's walls really drop down like people don't have their defensive barriers up for some reason when they're surrounded by plants and I found it so like um so prevalent when I was yeah gardening going to people's houses in the UK, I'd never met them before, maybe exchanged a text message. When I first greet them at the door, was always very like professional, very like, you are here to do a job. As soon as we walk into the garden, we would end up in like two hours of conversation. I felt so bad, I could never charge them for that time. <laughs> um, it's just something about nature, I guess, that mm -hmm. really puts us at ease. And I do think that's that has a huge part to play in why people want to come back to, to Nomad. Today, I did a huge plant cleanup session there. And I was just like, like it was so nice going into like fall and just knowing all the plants are taken care of. Um, and yeah, there's there's just something that feels so good being surrounded by them. Do you find that when you go in there that you're kind of, I know that Suze, when she came in, I think the first time I properly met her, she was sat next to a uh, ficus Audrey. You made me take it. I ended up buying the damn tree. <laughs> she literally walked home with it in her arms. Um, because, yeah, you were literally his best friend sat next I'd like, to her. Yeah, I'd sat, I was like, you know what? I need to. It was December last year. So we're coming up for a year now. And it, so it was like not very nice outside. And I was like, you know what? I need to like, it was before I had the dog. So there was, you know, I didn't have to be at home or anything. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go work in Nomad because it's so nice. And in the middle of winter, oh my God, that's when that place comes into its own as well, doesn't it? Being surrounded by all the plants and stuff. So it's like, okay, I'll go and sit and do some work in there. So I'm sitting there essentially like almost all, I was there for like at least half a day. And by <laughs> the end of it, I'm like looking at this plant and I'm just like, like this full on tree. And I'm like, I feel like, I know this plant now Um, it's literally sat next to me all day long and I feel like it's almost impolite if I don't take it home now because like it's just been sitting here watching me work all day Um, so yeah I literally I remember you Joe you were like do you want a hand Um, I can drive it around um, to your house and I was like oh no it's fine I've got it I totally should have said yes that thing weighed a ton and I didn't get very far where and I was like oh my god what am I doing I can't this believe you carried a tree home that's hilarious because I know that, the, I know the walk from the coffee yeah, shop yeah and it's house. that yeah. it's that big tree in the corner of my living room in like that big that's terracotta so pot too, so it weighs a ton um, um it's doing well I will add it's got like a bunch of new growth and all that kind of stuff it took a little while to settle in but now it's good um but yeah I ended up taking that tree home and it's my neighbor's 
um, they frequently come. I know when they've been a nomad because they come home with a coffee, like one of their reusable coffee cups in one hand and a plant in the other hand. Um, well, we know who they are as well. You absolutely. <laughs> I know all of the like the plant themes, the people who come in and like they have to like refrain from buying one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do always go and have a look because you always order. Like sometimes there's days when there's like a fresh new order come in and I'm like, oh my God, this is so cute. You also did that cute thing over the summertime where you had the trough outside with the some veggies and stuff growing. Yeah, that was actually given to us by the um, by North Vancouver, like the council. Oh, no. um, and so like, yeah, they gave us that trough and yeah, we planted it up with like aubergines or mm-hmm. was it eggplant here? Yeah. Um, so aubergine, <laughs> uh, zucchini, uh, tomatoes, all of those things. Um, the drought kind of took its toll on it. Yeah, um, I think getting that thing watered enough was it was a challenge. But yeah, I think it's really nice that north vancouver actually doing that like you walk down lonsdale there's so many of these like veg boxes yeah, just nice, kind of right? growing on there um but yeah like for me the plant shopping days where i go into a restock they're my favorite days i just get to walk around like a giant greenhouse and just pick out my favorites that i think other people will like um and it's like it's such a treat to do that but yeah what's your favorite plant Oh, Tough uh, question. Alocasia zebrina. It's a mm-hmm. big leaf alocasia um, that has stripy stems that literally looks like a zebra stripe on it. And it's just oh. such a cool, weird plant. And they grow to like maybe seven foot tall with leaves that are about, I don't know, four foot long. And they're absolutely amazing. We have this plant that opens up during the day and closes up at night. And it does have speckles on the leaves and they're quite long. And the, yeah, the stems have this like hinge on them. Do you know anything yeah, about that one? They're, they're called prayer plants. Um, okay. It's like a whole like species or a couple of species that do it. And I may be wrong uh, for saying this, but I believe it's because in the day, um, in like their natural habitat, they have their leaves sort of open to collect the rays. They're like a, a lower jungle kind of um, species. Mm-hmm. So they have their leaves down so they can collect all of the sun rays that they can get. And then at night, when it's like heavy rains, things like that, the leaves go up to protect them from damage. Ah. Um, they're absolutely amazing. I They're one of my favorites because you can just watch it in the evening. You can just gradually watch it going up like over the course of like an hour and a half. It's so cool. It is so cool. And we used to have it sitting on our coffee table and then it started getting a bit big, but it was just like, oh, the plant's closed. It's time to go to bed obviously it's time to go to bed, but it was like 6 PM in the winter. So it was a little early, but they're really, it's, I didn't, I had no idea plants do that. And yeah, I'd love to know a bit more about, I've heard a lot about this, but I'd love to know what you know about, um, plants cleaning the air too, and cleaning the environment around you. Yeah. So there's certain like, um, species that their particular role or like the the cleaning that they do of the air is actually to take like pretty horrible chemicals out of it as well um so some plants will take like formaldehyde out of the air some plants will take like um there's so many different chemicals that we have in our houses anyway like cleaning chemicals like there's so much toxicity in in what we do to like keep a clean home um and i i think for plants to make an actual impact in our home of like really like changing over the air and like making it a better quality I think you have to have a huge amount of them mm. but any plant doing any amount of work is better than nothing right like right. 
is one of my justifications for in the past having 150 plants in my house. Um, like here, I, I just, having a dog, I just can't do that now, I don't think. I just have to take care of one thing, like this big creature next to me. But like having like 150 plants is just like anxiety inducing. Um, but yeah, there's like a list that NASA published of like, which were the the top 10 plants. And thank God they are the easy care plants. They're right. the ones that actually do the best job. So things like snake plants, which I think everyone has, um, they're, I think they're the best plant for cleaning the air. Then there's uh, the ZZ plant, the Zamiococcus zamiofolia, which you can leave in like a dark room that's just got like one light bulb for three or four months and it will still keep growing and be fine. It won't look sad at all. That's another one that's just absolutely incredible for cleaning the home, um, the air in the home. But yeah, that was my selling point for a lot of plants. When I had a store, mm -hmm. I would be like, ah, oh, and this one's amazing for re-oxygenating your house. You should definitely take this <laughs> home. <laughs> but yeah, the, the special funny. thing to be yeah. around. I am, I'm also a big plant nerd. Um, I would have a million more plants. <clears throat> it's one of those things that for a long time we couldn't because we had a cat at the time and he would eat any and all plants so we were very limited um I could probably build them up now because Newt doesn't seem to really care that much which is awesome and he's little so it's easy to get them out of his reach and he can't jump up on counters and things like obviously cats can so that's fine um but it's I'm curious are you how do you feel about plant trends because I think they very much came into a thing, especially through COVID, when it was something that people could do. And some people discovered houseplants for the first time, I noticed, during COVID and had never thought about it before. How do you feel about trends in the plant world? I found it really strange, to be honest. Like, I, like the variegated plants mm -hmm. were, like, the, the rarer the species, like, these, some people were paying, like, thousands of pounds, like, 10,000 pounds, $20,000 for like a cutting of a plant because there were maybe like, I don't know, 5,000 of them in the world or something. And I think it was this like, this mindset of like, just get the best thing, like collect the most amazing thing that no one else could possibly have. And honestly, I got wrapped up in it a tiny bit. I never had the kind of money that to spend on those things. Um, but I think it was, there was definitely a, a negative element of it where there was lots of like poaching of these plants in the wild oh, yeah. and being shipped over from like Indonesia or like other parts of the world, Thailand. Um, but yeah, I think honestly, the reason I didn't love the the trend part of it was it just took away from how beautiful all of the plants are and like how actually like the plant you like the most and the plant that you can care for the best, um, that's the right plant to get. If you've got a plant that needs like 16 hours of daylight, 90% <laughs> humidity, has its own little room in your house that's like lit up all day, like, is that fun anymore that you're just like babying this thing because it's an investment? Um, for me, I just like the ones that I work best with, which actually happen to be the easy care plants. I've had a few of the like, the ones that are super needy and need you to put filtered water in and everything. Um, but I just love the ones that make me feel happy. And Honestly, I did love the plant trends whilst I was selling plants. Like it's, it's great. <laughs> you can make a little bit more money. Um, but yeah, I I think nowadays, post-COVID, everyone being in their homes, the sales have definitely declined, I think, on houseplants. Like mm -hmm. the the diehard house planters are still going out and buying a few. 
but people were pretty wild during like those lockdown times like people were spending like hundreds of dollars a week just like filling their places um and yeah i think now that everyone's gone back to work they realize that they've created like an extra job for themselves i wonder i wonder how many plants some people have killed since covid <laughs> oh my god i've i've done a few <laughs> oh my gosh my, like, my patio is the place they go i'm like oh you have spider mites i was like i'll deal with that another day put it out on the patio and it never comes back in i was gonna say and then forget all about it yeah, and then, uh, yeah we had this fair. We had this little palm tree that was thriving on the patio. And then we were like, what do we do with it in the winter? Cause it was almost, it, I mean, we brought it inside and then at one point we just gave up and we just left it out there and it just got too cold. So poor it's little palm. Like flapping in the wind during a yeah. storm and you're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. I know they take on personalities for sure. So like plant trends, there's obviously a lot of coffee trends as well. And my partner, John, and I have sort of, we've kind of tried to meddle in different, co- he's way more precise in measuring the beans and grinding them to a certain degree. And we bought like a mechanical grinder and everything too, but um, we've used the AeroPress, we've used the French press, we've used, you know, we used to just French press it. Um, and now we do the whole pour over thing with weighing everything. What is your favorite way to make coffee? I'm a big drip person or uh, sorry, pour over person. Um, and yeah, I just love to know what your, what your favorite way is to make coffee and maybe what, what kind of techniques people can do at home. Yeah. For me, I, I love the, the technique that brings out the best of the coffee bean. So coffee beans from all over the world have so many different flavors. Like if you're drinking a Brazilian coffee it's going to be pretty bold. It's going to be pretty strong and like earthy um and so with that like a pour over doesn't necessarily work too well you're not going to have a great cup of coffee from it there are obviously exceptions to that there are some amazing coffees coming out of brazil and all other parts of the world um but for me like i love a kenyan coffee or an ethiopian coffee because kenyan coffee just kind of blew my mind a little bit the first time i had it it tasted like tomato and it tasted like herbs and all of these strange flavors and there's like a zing at the end of it that I just wasn't expecting. And from there, I just love Kenyan coffee done as a pour over. It's just so clean. Um, I had one recently that was sent over from a roaster in Ukraine. Um, it's one of the best Kenyan coffees in the world. And I was so lucky to try it. They're the only roaster in the world that has it from my knowledge. Um, and I work with a, a chap who came over from Ukraine not too long ago. And he brought this like this bag with him. And yeah, that as a pour over was it kind of ruined other coffees for me because that, <laughs> like that's my benchmark that's like the coffee I want to drink but it's just like you can't get that very often um but yeah I love there's a few amazing coffee shops in Vancouver that are doing like pour overs incredibly well like there's prototype which is on uh, Hastings and they have 25 different coffees you can sample five of them are espresso and 20 of them are pour over and they're from all over the world and they're perfectly roasted in store on these tiny little um countertop roasters and you can sit there for hours and just drink like a kenyan coffee that's like yeah like i say kind of herby and then you can go to a geisha from panama which is like the most expensive coffee you can get and yeah for me i i just love the one that brings out the best flavor i was in hawaii like i said earlier about like three years ago and I was on the big island 
and I was looking for coffee. I was trying to get my like coffee fix. At that point, I just wanted espresso. I just wanted like a flat white. And I pull up at this tiny little coffee shop that this Taiwanese chap had created. And all he had was pour over. There wasn't enough electricity in the building for him to do an espresso machine or anything, just enough for a kettle. And it was all Hawaiian grown coffees. And, and we just stood for like, I think two hours chatting to him about pour over coffee, like which, who was growing these coffees, like why he chose them. And that just really changed the way I kind of drink coffee. Um, now I'm definitely trying to limit myself though. Like I have, coffee affects me very strongly. Like I get the shakes <laughs> straight away. Like if I have like two espresso based drinks, I'm just an absolute mess. Um, so I'm trying to limit it. And like, because of that, I think you really look for the, the one that you actually want instead of the habitual, like, oh, I'm just going to go grab a coffee. It's like, what do I actually want from this? Um, but yeah, when I, when I am making coffee at home, it's always a pour over. It's mm -hmm. never done with scales. I'm never weighing anything. I'm just going by eye and just trying to create a good coffee. But, um, I think I'm very spoiled by going to a coffee shop every day to work. Yeah, for sure. I'm just like you. I get affected by coffee a lot. Probably it's our herbal tea history, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do love the community that's created around coffee. Like you mentioned with that Hawaiian coffee shop, when I was in Mexico with some friends in May, we ended up on this tiny Island three hours North of Cancun where we were staying. And there was this like artisanal coffee shop there and he had the roaster there and he was making all different kinds of things. And they had these, um, I think they were cacao dusted coffee, espresso beans that you could eat and, um, all kinds of stuff. It was really, really cool. And he was so passionate about coffee. And so I bought a few bags of beans off of him and I didn't go to Mexico expecting to find that, but I've also had the same when I lived in Cambodia for a few months there was people actually making and growing and roasting beans there as well and, and making coffee. And I had no idea Cambodia would have coffee beans either. So I love that you can create these communities. And my partner and I have stayed in Thailand at this Airbnb, and it was um, centered around this art studio slash coffee shop sort of space. And he was making, you know, unique ways of, of making coffee in the morning. And um, yeah, I think there's, it's such an art and um, so much community can be created around it, but I love that Nomad and, and you and your influence there have been adding this layer of, you know, sustainability and mindfulness to coffee drinking as well. Cause I think that personally from my background and my interests is such an important layer to consuming something mindfully. Yeah. I think what's really cool as well about the coffee industry, like when you get into it, you really just get like pulled in by people's passion for it. Like people who are who like start on the journey of like a career in coffee usually just get completely hooked, whether it's the caffeine that's doing it to them and like kind of taking them <laughs> off the tangent. But people are so inspired and so passionate about what they do that it really like it gets you so interested and because it's such a multifaceted like industry, because there are all the elements to do with like how to grow it, where they're sourcing it, how they're processing it, all of this like chemistry and biology that's going on you can see how people do really like find such a big topic to, to get interested in. Um, and what I love is when you can combine that level of passion with the other most passionate people, which are people who are caring about the planet and sustainability. Like that is such a powerful combination to have. Um, and yeah, I think it's really cool. Like the people that I've got to chat with who are in the coffee industry 
have just like taken my knowledge like through the roof. Like I still don't know much. I scratched the surface. Um, I can make a good coffee. I can, I understand coffee, but there are people who can tell me the molecular breakdown of coffee who can tell yeah. me why, the exact reason why this Ethiopian coffee tastes floral. And like, I absolutely love just being around people who are that passionate about what they do. Um, is I think it, it translates to so many other parts of your life if you can kind of go at things in that way. Mm, we need to do like a coffee tasting or something, hey? Um, <laughs> I would love that. Right? I was just thinking before. So I never, I mean, I've lived in Canada now for coming up seven years. And before we moved to Canada, I didn't drink coffee. I was never a, co- also, I was never a tea drinker actually. Um, so, you know, not doing very good. Is it? And you call person. yourself British. So I mean, I don't really, let's, <laughs> let's keep that quite, no, it's true. I do, but uh, yeah, no, I've never been into it. Um, but also it's making me laugh because obviously you am originally from the UK, Joe, you too. And you're talking like so much about the kind of this side of the coffee world, but we come from a place where people still heavily consume instant coffee. Yeah, like my, my dad came over recently, first time I've seen him in a, in a few years. And he came over and the, the first thing I went out and bought was instant coffee for him. Like I have so much good coffee in my house. But I was like, he's not going to want it because like they're so used to that, like that daily, I don't know, just pick up like a Mellow Birds or like a Kenko. Oh my something. God. And like, I tried the instant coffee and oh my God, it was so bad. I was just so bad. I was just going to say one was, no, I was just going to say what clearly we're very passionate. No, I I was just going to say, when was the last time you had an instant coffee? Yeah. So the instant coffee I had, I I don't want to like drag any companies into it. No, of course. There's like a specialty instant coffee industry now. So like the way they do instant coffee was really weird to me. I never knew but it makes so much sense. They extract the coffee with water and then like, so it's filtered and then they freeze dry it and then mm-hmm. break it up. And that's why it's that like, that's why you don't get all the grounds at the bottom of it. Um, and so this was actually like a special specialty grade coffee or a premium grade coffee as an instant coffee. And yeah, it was just, it was not good. I had half a cup and I was like, you know what? I don't need this today. I'm going to have a matcha latte. I think um, it was, um, wasn't freeze, I mean, I could be completely wrong here, but I feel like I'd read somewhere that freeze-dried coffee came into its own, essentially during the Second World War. I, yeah, I don't know, but it would make sense, wouldn't it? Like, In terms of like its shelf life and and all that kind of stuff, and, and obviously with it being freeze-dried and stuff. So that would make sense. Um, and I, I, I feel like it's, coffee, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I just. Yeah, I know that's where my instant coffee, like world started was my grandma mm-hmm. who would, she would have the worst like mellow birds coffee is like is basically hot milk when you mm-hmm. put it mm-hmm. and but that's what I grew up drinking from like the age of worryingly from the age of like 12 or 13 <laughs> just, like, instant coffee. it's fine it was just hot milk well this yeah. is why people put so much milk and sugar in their coffee I mean I learned on only to drink coffee you know a handful of years ago and I was told drink it black and you know eat properly taste it and I don't think I ever had to have the opportunity to even try it with milk or sugar um, and I think I would hate that unless it's like a, a you know an espresso based drink but I have not suffered I hate to say that because it's not true at all but I will take instant coffee camping because obviously you're trying to be minimalist with your backpack if you're hiking but I have found some coffee shops that have done a fairly decent instant coffee. It's still not the same thing. And I think I'd still rather a cup of tea, but um, there's a couple coffee shops in Colorado and actually a couple companies that I worked with in the past 
for larger events that do like, I don't know if you've seen those little tea bag pour over coffees for camping. Those actually work out fairly well compared to instant coffee options. If anyone is listening and wants to find a coffee option for camping, it's a good option. (laughs) It's like a pour over, but it looks like a tea bag, but you open it up and some people have used it as a tea bag and it does nothing. (laughs) We're like, don't use it as a tea bag that you open. It's yeah, it's a good, it's a good alternative, but yeah, instant coffee. I completely agree. And coming from a British family who still drink it when I go there, yeah, I'd rather have a tea. I feel like coffee on the top of a mountain can be really bad and still taste quite good though. If it's like 5am or 6am and you know you've got to go like an extra like I don't know 20 kilometers that day, like any coffee is going to taste a little bit better. But those like the pour over ones are so good. I had mm-hmm. um, yeah, the specialty grade like ones of those and like I just use them at home sometimes because it's so easy and like nice pour over without all the the mess. Um but yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I can't believe all of this talk of plants and coffee, and we've already been chatting for a while now, but uh, we always ask our um, our guests this final question, which is, what is something that a lot of people don't know about you that you'd like to share? Um, I am actually vegan. Um, it's been mm-hmm. a journey for quite a number of years um, to, to make that like transition to being like fully vegan. Um, but yeah, it all started when I was in the Navy and realized that I didn't want to keep consuming, like it was for my health at the time. Um, I didn't want to be consuming like so many animal products. Um, and so I had to make myself food every day in the galley because the chefs refused to cook for someone who wasn't eating meat. Oh, it's a very okay. like, weird, like testosterone fueled environment. So you kind of get it. Um, but yeah, like I, I I most recently um, like fully like made the the statement to myself that like this is the only way I can live in a, a conscious way um, and like a huge part of that comes down to my partner Annalisa and actually her dad um, he's been vegan for about 45 or 50 years I believe wow. um, and he is he looks like he's 40 like that was a huge inspiration like when someone has been living a lifestyle for that long and they are super healthy walking like 15 kilometers a day and look young um i was like there's there's definitely something more to this with health it's like the advert for it right absolutely yeah and i think like yeah my partner she's been vegan since the age of i think 12 um and for her it was it was the ethics of, of it um and yeah for me recently that's that's definitely been very prevalent like just seeing the like how to live a more like ethical life and like I think it all ties into the work I do as well yeah just seeing how like daily habits can make a big difference like um I found a stat recently which was if you uh have a vegan lifestyle you reduce your carbon footprint by 75 percent which is like it's the single biggest thing that you can actually do Mm. uh, to reduce your impact on the planet and for me, I was like, I can't be preaching to people every day saying, hey, like you can't bring, can't take a single use cup. And then like myself, like not living by that, like, um, and yeah, I, I feel great because of it. Like I, I would never be able to run 30 kilometers with no training whatsoever um, before. And like now I just feel pretty, like pretty healthy and vibrant because of it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something that not a lot of people know about me. Um, and it's definitely been like, it's not the easiest road to like, just change a life of habit. 
um, and just kind of um, the way you've kind of grown up as well, especially like the British diet is not like full oh, no. of, like veggies and like all these like fresh herbs and things. Um, so yeah, just breaking those patterns has been, it's been a really interesting journey and it's like, yeah, I swear it's like opened me up to a whole new world of emotion. I've become such an emotional human. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, I was just, I was just going to say, I feel like with like the coffee and the plants and the sustainability and the, the veganism, you're living the millennial hipster life, Joe. Absolutely. Thriving. Embracing it with open arms. Right. That's so funny. That's great. And that's really being- cool. And being vulnerable. I think that's the new, that's the new trendy thing for sure. And it should be. Yeah, honestly, like mm. life becomes easier when you just kind of like don't hold stuff in. Yeah. Um, is I think after a lot of time in the Navy around people who are not living in that way, like, mm. um, yeah, I think as soon as you, you get to the point where you're like, what's the point in holding things in and like suffering internally when you can just be vulnerable and be like, hey, I need help or whatever it mm. is. Um, is super important Um, but yeah I I do also put that down to working for a lot of women Um, my last like three jobs here in Canada have been for very strong women Um, and I tend to just surround myself with with female energy um, and feminine energy because yeah I think it it's a very um, it's a very powerful thing and I absolutely love it and it's definitely like definitely changed the way I see the world in a lot of respects Oh, I feel like that's a whole other topic, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know. I want to keep talking for another hour. I think come back, come back for part two. Yeah, yeah, come back for part two. And actually, it's perfect. Our last guest on our last episode, um, she is a female powerhouse, um, for sure. And I worked for her, and um, I felt equally as much as she was, you know, a a strong leader. She was also really strong in her feminine side too, which was so inspiring to me. And I think all of us have masculine and feminine inside of us and to have that balance of both is is so rare um so that's amazing that you've been enjoying working with female leaders because um I'm actually wearing my like international women's day feminist shirt today that I got from uh, an organization I worked with in Cambodia so um it's all come full circle thank you so much for having me and yeah chatting to me and yeah it's been it's been so cool and obviously I, I love seeing you guys in the coffee shop um and yeah yeah, for sure. We're going to come and do a tasting or like a coffee shop hop with you someday. That would be really oh, fun. Great. I'm hearing all these names of places mm-hmm. that I need to check out in Vancouver. I thought I'd been to a lot, but I think there's more I have to explore. Maybe part two can be from one of those coffee shops. Yes. We want to work on some live episodes for sure. Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. Um, And given that I'm, I would say I'm very much a beginner with coffee. Uh, so I need to, you know, be introduced in a, in a way I feel like by someone who knows what they're talking about. So you can sell it to me. That'd be great. That conversation made me want to have a cup of coffee. I am having a cup of coffee. So that works out real well. Yeah, no, I agree. It, um, it was one of those like cozy chats, you know? Yeah, it was nice. And I think... I think it'll inspire people to hopefully be more conscious with their choices in general, whether they're, where they're getting their coffee from, how they're consuming, what containers they're using for things, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then maybe a little bit more interest in houseplants because I think they really enhance the home and they make, they definitely make my home feel great. I actually 
did two accent walls in my living room that are green and all of the plants complement those accent walls and vice versa. So Mm -hmm. I love having almost bringing the outdoors inside. It's very, it's very Zen, very grounding. Oh no, I'm with you. I love it. I am, I'm quite good in, I used to definitely have a bit of an obsession and with houseplants and I have this weird thing where for some reason, if it's a fairly difficult plant traditionally to keep alive, I seem to be okay with it. But if it's a really easy plant to keep alive, I seem to not. Uh, So I get into a weird thing there, but there's some really cool places to get some really interesting plants and you're right I think it just livens up a home makes it feel a bit more homely sometimes it's strange going in houses with no plants but I know mm, I, I, I completely agree I think this episode also I hope it inspires people whether they're in Vancouver and can make it to Nomad definitely go and say hi to Joe and check out all their cool food and drinks and plants but also I hope it inspires people to, I think we mentioned this in the intro, but talk to your local barista and see what they're up to and, you know, observe what's going on in the coffee shops around you and whether you can make steps towards making them more, um, you know, less waste and more eco-friendly and the little steps that you can take to, yeah, to, you know, what is that vote with your wallet Mm -hmm. and get a really cute coffee cup that you can take places with you that you want to use. The cup I'm drinking out of definitely makes an impact on the taste of my coffee. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's not, that's nice. I've, I've also not, mine isn't just cute, but it, I sometimes if I get distracted, I'll forget I've got a drink, um, but it's very good at like two hours later, it's still pretty hot. So mm, that's quality. also nice, which I like um because I just get too distracted by whatever else I'm doing so that is a win but yeah that's a nice also you know as we're coming up to the holiday season um fun little stock and stuffer you can find our guest today at Nomad Coffee which is in North Vancouver you can follow them on Instagram as well and we ask you to keep listening to the podcast and send us your your comments and your suggestions for future guests and press subscribe